Good morning. Welcome to this online worship service for Kern Memorial United Methodist Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. For August 28th, I'd like to invite you to a word of prayer with me this morning. Wherever you are, let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for this time together, for special fellowship in your sight. Though we are remote to each other, Father, we pray we are not remote to you. So we would ask an extra measure of your Spirit among us this morning that you might abide with us. Not just come for a little while, but Father, to stay and dwell among us such that your light shines in a way that we are bathed and comforted. Father, our world hurts, just desperately hurts this day, Father, and we need you to raise up leaders among us with a calm and steady hand that think as Jesus thinks and perhaps can organize and direct our, our institutions and our groups of people and even individuals at all sorts of levels. Father, you need to send us among the people around us such that each of us can start small. Father, we don't intend solve all the world's problems father we just want to work on the ones that are right in front of us and so help us to build relationship with those around us help us to bridge those little gaps to be with someone to hear someone speak to feel what they feel father that that takes us all and we need to go both ways with those things we need to unite ourselves in that cause Father, we ask you to unite us in that way as you unite our voices in the prayer you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 1, 7 through 11. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. At time for our message, it would be my prayer and my thought that uh, all of my own thoughts and words would be corrected by the Spirit, both in my mouth and in the earing, hearing of all those who would listen. So, I need to begin this morning with a modest confession of sorts. 
I don't much care for a particular segment of our scripture reading this morning. Sure, I get the big picture concept, the big picture idea that we're not to presume to be a sufficiently big dog that we can just take the seat of honor at a wedding feast or anywhere else. But I'm a little frustrated with the concept that Jesus suggests we should intentionally take among the lowest seats at the banquet. And that's hard for me to understand what that is in our culture. I don't know where the lowest seat might actually be. My sensibility tells me that maybe within our culture, when you're at a banquet, it's the seat way over there nearest the kitchen. That might be the lowest seat. But knowing Jesus and his agenda, my suspicion is his idea for the lowest seat might be sitting beside that person who looks a little different than somebody else at the service or the stranger or visitor among us. But I don't even like that interpretation because that seems to imply that there's something faulty, something wrong with that visitor, that person, that putting me beside them degrades me in some way. So I don't even want to go there with this. But superimposed on all of that is the idea that Jesus asks us to intentionally take a seat that we suspect to be inappropriate or beneath us fully intending that that action will get us promoted to another seat. And that doesn't sound like an act of humility to me. That sounds like manipulation. It sounds like false humility because it's based on such a goofy expectation. So, let's dig in just a little bit and see if we can figure it out. Perhaps you noticed, perhaps you were paying enough attention when we read our scripture this morning that it begins in verse 1 and then skips to verse 7 through 11 to complete the reading. From behind the eyes of those who select lectionary material, the purpose of that is pretty simple. It's simply to allow a focus on a particular idea and make sure all the ideas of Jesus are included in a three-year lectionary cycle. It's really simple. But this morning, I think we need to at least refer to those missing verses, at least for the context they offer us. And so, here it is. At that Sabbath meal that was happening on this day, amongst the Pharisees that was there, was a man with dropsy, considered a very serious flaw of personality, of physicality, Remember that the Jewish sort of thinking, particularly among the Pharisees, was that if you had some physical abnormality, I will call it, a disease, then that made you a sinner of particular note. God was punishing you. He was not blessing you in some way. So the presence of this man with dropsy among the Pharisees at their high table deal on Sabbath is a setup. It's a trap for Jesus, as sure as I'm breathing. It's a test of some type to see how he will react to this situation. Luke alludes to that in verse 1 when he says, and they watched him carefully. 
That's what it means here. They were watching him carefully to see what he would do about the presence of that man among all this education and authority and scriptural power. And so you know what Jesus did. He healed the man and sent him on his way. And the Pharisees are stunned. And then, context, Jesus begins the parable that we heard this morning about being invited to a wedding feast and the seating arrangement at that, no less. So, interpreting the low-hanging fruit, I'm inclined to suggest to you, if you're interested, that maybe Jesus is upset with the Pharisees for assigning some significance to this seating chart, for placing their own honor above some other need. The Pharisees reach for that often enough, and I think that it probably wouldn't be a problem for Jesus at all if they only did that amongst themselves. They only threw those stones at each other, organizing how they seed and having this pecking order of status among them. But we know from our reading of Scripture that there are all sorts of other examples where the Pharisees throw those rocks, do that pecking order thing on all sorts of people. In my own vernacular, I would describe some of those situations like this. But you know the stories, you know the attitudes, you've heard them before, and you'll recognize some of these. Things like, well, he must not be much for Messiah material, because if he was, he would know it's much more important to spend time with us than with those guys. Or, he can't possibly be a man of God because he breaks bread with sinners like him. Or perhaps the worst of all, thank goodness I'm not a miserable sinner like that guy over there. So, so yeah, don't be like that. That's easy. That's low-hanging fruit. But I think perhaps that there's a, a greater meaning, a deeper meaning for humility and our salvation in the story. And I think so because I'm intrigued by the idea that to go to this event, there has to be an invitation in the first place. <clears throat> and I'm sure that the host already thinks very highly of everyone that would be invited, already honors everyone that would be invited, yet, nevertheless, there is a person at the event assigned and enabled to decide judgment and enforce seating at this banquet. Isn't that curious? But the clincher for me is in verse 10, when Jesus says, and you will find glory among those at the table with you. Or in some translations and texts it says, and you will find great honor among those at the table with you. But we already know that Jesus doesn't think highly of the pecking order of status, of the seating chart at the event. So to what would Jesus assign honor and glory? Ah, that detective is the right question. So let's dig in a little more and find out. I'm going to consider for you several times where Jesus eats with the people and see what else we can learn about common situations like that. 
One particular event comes to mind that's described in all three synoptic gospels almost identically. That's a scene where Jesus meets Levi, a formerly corrupt tax collector, at his home for a dinner. And this dinner will be with Levi and some of his cohorts, his co-workers. And the Pharisees are all full of complaints about that. This isn't the man of God. Look who he's eating with. He's eating with a bunch of sinners. And Jesus' reply is pretty simple and straightforward. He says, I came to heal the sick, not those that are well. The seating arrangement at this particular dinner is different, though, from the banquet that we've talked about already, because all of the guests, save maybe Jesus, all of the guests are generally despised, even among themselves. So the invitation in the seating chart is just based on what each individual there needs. It needs to be an invitation to relationship with Jesus. And if there is honor there, Jesus brings it. So there's another story that comes to mind. This one is described in essentially identical detail in all four Gospels. Jesus is reported to have fed 5,000 men on a hillside, and that number probably also excludes women and children. 5,000 men with just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fishes. In a separate and distinct story, Matthew and Mark report a similar event, similar circumstances, but this time, there are 4,000 men on the seashore. Otherwise, they're very similar stories. In both events, the feeding that's described is tucked into the chronology of the gospel writer's plan immediately following a teaching moment, a moment where Jesus teaches the disciples something about trust and providential care. In both events, Jesus asks God blessing on whatever provision they have, and God just works it out. Everybody has enough to eat, there's food left over. In both events, there's no formal invitation to this event, like in many other parables of the New Testament. No servant went out crying about the anticipation of an event coming. And then followed it up and sometime later to say, it's not just an idea, it's happening. Come, come to the feast. That's how it routinely happened among the very wealthy, the very rich. But in this case, the invitation is the urging of the Spirit. The longings of those who would just like to spend a little more time with Jesus on the hillside or at the seashore. So, no pecking order again, just those that are where the Spirit leads them, those that are where faith takes them with Jesus. That's all. So there's another couple parables. In these, they're not exactly Jesus eating with the people, but they describe the same general concept. It could be Jesus as well as the Master in the story. 
And in one case, the story is in Luke chapter 14, and in fact it follows our reading this morning. The other is in Matthew 22. Both are described as magnificent feasts. The one in Matthew 22 is specified to be a wedding feast. The point of both those parables, I believe, is that to be invited at all in those particular settings was a great honor and privilege. There was no reasonable expectation that you could earn an invitation or you deserved it in some way or you should just expect it as a matter of course. And in fact, because of that, you're also expected in this parable interpretation to bend your will to the importance of this invitation, to get yourself to the event no matter what, otherwise you might lose your very desirable place at the event. So, in one event, the wedding event in Matthew, you're even told what to wear to the event. It's important that you do because you cannot get in without it. You're asked to wear the white robe of righteousness. Boy, that was harder to say than I expected. The white robe of righteousness. But where might you get one of those? That's a serious thought for this morning. So, one more meal to talk about a little bit. This is described almost identically in all four Gospels, but only one of them has a significant preamble to the event. John's Gospel, in chapter 6, reports that a bunch of Jews are unhappy with Jesus for describing himself as the bread that comes from heaven. Of course, for the Jews, that conjures memories of their time in the desert when they wandered for 40 years, and God fed them with manna in the midst of this desert until they reached the promised land. And when they reached the promised land, the method of feeding stopped, the manna stopped. And that may be because they reached a particular physical location or spiritual condition. That's another sermon series altogether. I'll leave that for Will. But the point is here that once again, the bread has changed a little bit. And Jesus emphasizes that his whole message, his whole being is so important to those that would be saved by the Messiah that you have to take it in completely. You have to take it in so completely it's like consuming it. You have to do it at that intimate level. You have to take in all that he brings to the table, capital T, table, everything about him, body, blood, message, the whole schmear. Jesus responds to the criticism of the Jews by saying, how good could the manna they ate be? They're all dead. Everybody that eats the bread that I offer live forever. Of course, the meal that I'm talking about is the Last Supper. And of course, that sacrament has very, very many purposes and meanings to all of us. But in this context, the purpose of it is to remind us of our place at His eternal table, 
always secure. The honor is his. We are led there by our faith, the Spirit. We need to be where he is. Seating chart notwithstanding. So, let's wrap this up. Jesus perhaps is asking in this parable, can someone who places their own honor as a goal or a device of consideration at a wedding feast or any other event really be fit for the kingdom? Well, maybe. But maybe Jesus is saying that starting out in the lowest seat and being elevated to the highest seat is a lot like starting out as fallen people and becoming glorified saints. Without him, we are nothing, but with him, we are elevated from the condition in which we are born, buried in sin, to sitting beside him, wherever that is, fully rescued by his amazing sacrifice. Grace is amazing, isn't it? Peace be among you, and amen. Think of it, friends, invited to the feast, the wedding of the Lamb and His church. So plan to arrive in humility, Plan to arrive in thanksgiving and let the Lord of hosts seat you in the very best spot unique to you. And now receive this blessing. May the most excellent grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit go with you every day, now and always, giving you peace and His light perpetual shining upon you. And amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.